Last week, we began a new series called Finding Jesus. And uh, last week, I preached on the topic of finding hope, finding hope at Christmas. And the question that, uh, that I threw out to our congregation and the question that I encourage you to ask other people this last week was, what is your greatest hope this Christmas? What is your greatest hope this Christmas? And we looked at Proverbs 13, 12, which says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. And there are a lot of things that we hope for, yes? Okay, one person, yes. Praise the Lord. One person is hoping for some things this Christmas. There's a lot of things that we hope for, but there's a lot of things that we hope for that we have not seen come to fruition. There's a lot of promises, promises that we read in Scripture, promises that, that God has given to us that we hope for, and yet we have not seen them yet fulfilled. And so we, we focused on that question last week, what is your greatest hope? Hope this Christmas. Today as we talk about peace, I'm going to encourage you to open up your Bible or one of the Pew Bibles or even on the Bible app this morning to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And as you are opening your Bible there, again today we're going to talk about peace. We're going to talk about peace. It occurred to me last Night. I love these, these words up here on the platform this Christmas season. Love, hope, faith, joy. And it occurred to me late last night as I was standing here in the sanctuary, Romans 12, 12 encapsulates all of these words. Romans 12 says, love one another. It says, love one another as brothers and sisters. Love one another. And then it says, be Joyful in hope. Be joyful in hope. I shouldn't have tried to quote this because now I just lost it. Uh, oh, there it is. Be joyful. I just had to look at Margaret. Margaret just keyed me in on it. Be joyful in hope. It says be patient in affliction and be faithful in prayer. Now, how many of us find it easy to be joyful in hope? That is, things that we are hoping for, that we can find joy in those things. Be joyful in hope. How many of us find it very, very easy to be patient in affliction? That is, when we're, when we're facing seasons of pain, when we're facing periods of, of great anxiety and stress, when we're, when we're dealing with situations that cause us great conflict in our life, and disruption, how many of us find it very easy to be patient in those times? And yet then he closes out, Romans 12, 12 closes out by saying, be faithful then in prayer. When you find it difficult to be joyful in hope, when you find it difficult to be patient in affliction, we are to be faithful in prayer because God is good. Amen? Can we agree on that? God is good and he is he has good things for 
us. So this morning, I said last week, I asked, what is your greatest hope this Christmas season? Today, I want us to, to, to concentrate on one question, and maybe this question is going to strike you, uh, catch you off guard, rather. Here's the question. What is the greatest stress or conflict in your life right now? And the reason I thought that perhaps that question might, might catch us off guard is because we're, not we're, we're, we're together to worship the Lord, right? We're together to, to talk about the good things that God has in store for us. And yet today I really want us and feel like we need to, as individuals and as a church, focus on that question. What is the greatest stress? What is the greatest anxiety? What is the greatest conflict in your life right now. Maybe it's something that is, uh, that is fresh in your mind. Maybe it's something that's new in your life. Some conflict, some stress in your life that, that is even temporary or seasonal. Something that, that you think is going to go away at some point. Or maybe it's something that you've dealt with for many months, many years, and it just continues to dominate your thoughts. It continues to, to keep you awake at night. What is the greatest stress? What is the greatest conflict in your life right now? And the reason I talk about that, even in the midst of worship, even as we are, are striving to, to, uh, to celebrate all the good things that God has in store for us is because I believe that when we come together to worship, we're not to just cast all of these, these, these stresses and anxieties and even conflicts and pretend like they don't exist in our life. But instead, when we come together to worship the creator of the heavens and the earth, we are to exalt him above all of these things in our life. Yes? Anybody agree with me on that? Praise the Lord, then I'll continue, okay? Here's what it, here, here, here's, here's my, here's what, what I'm driving at. When I ask, what is the greatest stress or conflict in your life right now? This morning, I invite us to find peace in these situations, to find peace by exalting God in these great stress, these great periods of anxiety and conflict in our life. The Hebrew word for peace is the word shalom. Say that with me, shalom. It's a fun word to say. It's not a difficult one. It's a fun one. Shalom. Shalom means to be safe, to be sound, to be perfect, to be complete, to lack nothing. How many of us want shalom in our life right now? Yeah. And I'm not even going to ask for hands on how many people feel like they have shalom in their life right now. Because, I mean, let's be honest, the Christmas season, it should bring us peace. It should bring us that, that shalom that is defined in Scripture, safe, sound, perfect, complete, lacking, nothing. But oftentimes in the world that we live in, in the culture that we are engaged in, the Christmas season brings us anything but peace and shalom. Can I get an amen to that? Shalom signifies the presence of harmony, both inward and outward. That means there is peace around us, but there's also peace within us. And shalom signifies the absence of anxiety and stress. There is no anxiety. There is no stress in perfect shalom. Biblically, it is a future-oriented word, just as hope is a future-oriented word throughout Scripture. 
shalom, perfect, complete, lacking nothing. You would think then that the birth of the Prince of Peace would be shalom. That it would be peaceful, that it would be safe, sound, secure, complete, lacking nothing. We would think, but we would be wrong. Matthew chapter 1 this morning, verse 18 and 19 says this. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. And because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. And so he had in mind to divorce her quietly. We know very little about Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus. We know that Joseph was a carpenter, that he was a craftsman, that he was not an academic, he was not a businessman, he was not a priest, he was simply a blue-collar, hard-working man, Joseph. And so when Joseph's fiancée gets pregnant... Although he does not know yet that this pregnancy came through the Holy Spirit, Joseph's response is exemplary. I think Joseph's response is better than many of us, our, our response would be. Joseph has in mind to divorce her quietly. That's what Matthew 1.19 says. Despite what is most likely a deep hurt, he is unwilling to put his fiance to shame. And he decides to deal with the situation very, very quietly. He wants to guard her from the shame that he knows could come, probably should come in this situation. I cannot even imagine being in Joseph's situation and finding out that my fiance who I love very, very much, and I thought loved me very much, is now pregnant. But Joseph has in mind to divorce her quietly. He repays what he perceives to be evil with good. And we can clearly see that Joseph is a good man, but he is most definitely not at peace in this situation. So Joseph then, overcome with stress, anxiety, worry, he considers these things well into the night. And even his dreams are dominated by this situation. You ever worry about something so much that even your dreams are dominated by a situation? 
And so Joseph is mid-stressed dream when an angel visits him in the dream and gives him a job. You ever been visited by an angel in the middle of the night in a dream and gotten a job from the angel? Can you imagine going to sleep at night so overcome with worry and stress and anxiety and then an angelic being visits you and says, hey, by the way, I've got a job for you. I've got something else to lay upon you, another burden for you to bear. That's where Joseph is. It says in Matthew 1.20, after Joseph had considered this, that is the situation with his fiancée Mary pregnant, after he had considered all of this, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, Do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophets. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. So this angel visits Joseph in a dream. Angels are prominent in the story, uh, in the account of Jesus' birth. They're notorious for bringing good news of great joy. Good news of great joy. The Savior will be born. Emmanuel, God with us, will be born. You are to give him the name Jesus because he will save God's people from their sins. This is no doubt good news. But the implications for Joseph and his life and his future are most definitely not good news. There's stress. There will be anxiety. There will be conflict. There will be discord in his life. Joseph, then, is to proceed with the engagement to Mary. She and her son, Jesus, Mary and Jesus, they are very, very important. Mary is the one who the prophet testified about. This is the one that Isaiah had said 400 years before. She's the one. Jesus... As the angel says, will save his people from their sins. Mary and Jesus, they have profound destinies, don't they? They have a future. Their names are going to be included when we talk about the Messiah. Jesus and Mary have profound destinies. But then I wonder about Joseph. What about Joseph. Notice that when the angel visits Joseph, he says nothing about Joseph's life. He says nothing about Joseph's interests. He says nothing about Joseph's future or his personal destiny. Instead, Joseph's legacy is to be bound up in Mary and in Jesus. Verse 24. When Joseph woke up, he did what any right-minded person would do. He packed his bags and he took off, never to be seen again. 
I mean, let's be honest. That's what most, that's what a lot of people would do. When Joseph woke up, though, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. And aren't we thankful that he did? God commands Joseph to do something, and Joseph intends to do it. End of story. Through discomfort, through stress, through anxiety, through trials, through conflict, through challenges, through shame, he will raise the prince of peace. See, if I were Joseph, I'd have a lot of follow-up questions for this angel in the middle of the night. Anybody ever try to talk in the middle of one of your dreams? You try to say something, it just doesn't work out. At least for me, it doesn't. But if I wake up the next morning, having been visited in a dream by one of God's messengers, I'm going to have a whole list of questions. What does this mean for me? What does this mean for my future? God, how are you going to take care of me? How are you going to take care of Mary? What, what will my destiny be but Joseph he doesn't ask a thing he doesn't make a list at least that's not included in the scriptures instead he trusts God and he simply follows his lead all of the characters in the early part of Jesus life of all the characters in the early part of Jesus's life Joseph gets the most face time with God's messengers. Repeatedly, angels show up with a difficult job for Joseph. And repeatedly, Joseph trusts God. And repeatedly, Joseph follows God's leading. You want some examples? Here we go. Matthew 2, 13. When they had gone, that is the wise men, this is after Jesus is born, I need to back up and say, Jesus is born, the, the, the shepherds come, uh, the wise men come, the magi, when they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, he said, get up, Take the child and his mother, take Jesus and Mary, and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and to kill him. So Joseph got up, he took the child, he took his mother, he took Jesus and Mary during the night, and they left for Egypt. You ever try to take a road trip with a two-year-old on a donkey? In the middle of the night, I mean, come on, G, come on, God, let me just wait till the morning. Pack a cooler or something. No, Joseph gets up, it says he gets up and he takes a child during the night. He doesn't even wait till daybreak. And he takes him and they go to Egypt. Skip a few more verses. After Herod had died, this is verse 19. An angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt. So again, 
think about, think about this now. Joseph is doing well. He gets engaged to a young woman that he loves and loves him. And then he hears she's pregnant. In the middle of the night, the angel says, no, you, you, still, you're, you, you still need to marry her. Marry her, but don't have any union with her until Jesus is born. Your life's going to be very, very difficult these next few months, but it's going to get a lot harder. It's going to get a lot more difficult. There's going to be great stress, great conflict. It's not enough, then, that Mary, his new bride, is pregnant. Joseph is denying it, denying it, denying it. It's not mine. It's from God. Mary's telling the same story. People are laughing at him. People are, are, are just leaving. I don't want anything to do with him. If he can't at least tell the truth, I don't want anything to do with him. Then they go... <laughs> Then they go to Bethlehem in the middle of the night and, he, and, and Mary has Jesus in a barn. Are you kidding me, God? Then God visits them in the middle of the night. A messenger visits them in the middle of the night and says, Joseph, get up. Wake everybody up. Take your, your wife. Take your two-year-old son, adopted son, and escape to Egypt because somebody wants to kill Jesus and they probably want to kill you too. Then, there in Egypt, Herod dies, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream, Joseph in Egypt, and he said, get up, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel. For those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. And Joseph does it. He gets up and he goes to Israel. See, this is not what we would call peace. But this is the prince of peace. That Joseph is raising. See, so often we try very, very hard to manage our own legacies. Our own destinies. Our own peace in every situation. So much anxiety, so much stress, and so little peace uh, comes from trying to conjure something eternally meaningful from our own strength. And yet we keep trying day after day after day. So I ask again, what's the greatest stress or conflict in your life right now? See, God doesn't ask us to part the sea. He just asks us to walk through it. God didn't ask Joseph to explain his marriage. He didn't ask Joseph to explain his family to the world. God simply asked Joseph to trust in him and to follow his leading. And Joseph does it. Trusting God and, and following in his leading are how we allow God to fulfill his promises to us. And as we trust and as we follow God, we will, just as Joseph did, we will find peace. Philippians 3, Paul writes, One thing I do, forgetting what is behind, straining toward what is ahead, I press on. Toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. And then Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God. 
which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and will guard your mind in Jesus Christ. I wonder how many of us want that type of peace in our life. How many of us have been searching for that type of peace in our life for so many years and we just haven't found it? Could it be that you're still searching for that kind of peace because you're still trying to work it out through your own strength and in your own abilities instead of acknowledging what the greatest stress and conflict in your life is right now and simply stepping into that, simply trusting God through that. Do you think Joseph asked for this situation? Absolutely not. And yet he walked through it and he found peace in it throughout the birth of Christ. Because he trusted God in all things. At any moment, Joseph could have stepped back and said, God, it's too much. It's too much. I can't do it because I don't have a plan. You're not giving me, uh, you're not giving me a map. You're not telling me what's going to happen tomorrow. You're not telling me what's going to happen next year. But instead, Joseph simply trusts in God and follows his leading. And that's where we find peace. Peace comes when we trust God. Peace comes when we follow his leading. What's the greatest stress? What's the greatest conflict in your life right now? See, I believe that your greatest stress, conflict, discord, could be the key to finding peace with God, to finding peace in God right now. What's your greatest stress? What's your greatest conflict are you ready to turn it over to God? Right here, right now. Are you ready to just, to, just to lay it down before him? Say, God, I, I, I know I have to walk through this. But God, I'm going to lay it down before you because I know only you can handle it. Are you willing to trust it to the one who promises peace? See, that doesn't change. God still promises peace. It doesn't matter what, what situation you're going through right now. It doesn't matter what happens when you walk out of this, this church building this morning. It doesn't matter. God still promises peace. And as you lay these things down to God, as you trust in him and follow his leading, are you willing to continually follow his leading? Today, tomorrow, and even when things get all the more difficult. Father God, we thank you this morning that you do love us. And we thank you this morning, Jesus, that you do promise us peace. God, I even thank you this morning that we deal with stress and that we deal with anxiety, that we deal with conflict, that we deal with discord in our relationships and in our community. God, remind us of your promise of peace. Remind us, Lord Jesus, of your promise of peace even more when things get difficult. Remind us, Lord Jesus, in those greatest moments of stress and conflict and discord, to turn to you, to trust in you, 
and to follow your great leading. Jesus, we thank you and we praise you this morning. Pour down your peace through your Holy Spirit, a peace, Lord Jesus, beyond all understanding, beyond, Lord Jesus, all comprehension. Pour down, Lord Jesus, your peace. We give you thanks this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? As we close this morning, if God is bringing to your mind a situation that you need to lay down before him, a situation that you need to trust to him, a situation that you need to follow his leading in, our altar is open for you. I would be more than honored to pray with you. And I know that several others here this morning are willing to pray with you. If that's what you need this morning, as you lay it down, our altar is open for you.